Hi, this is Dave Coulier, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Okay, let's rewind. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's our old friend Gabe Kia. So he sends Dave Chappelle a text right there as we're talking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this might be... You might get to hang out with Dave. Maybe Dave will come down, watch the show, or maybe we'll go up there or something. Like all the rest of the comedians we talked to, Gabe has been hunkered down, but he's been making ends meet uh, with jobs here and there. He's still been performing uh, over the internets and also uh, hobnobbing with the likes of Dave Chappelle, Michelle Wolf, and Russell Peters. We'll hear more about that in just a bit. There's no dumb bit this week, actually, because Gabe and I had a nice long chat, so uh, that took up most of our time, and I know you have other podcasts you need to listen to, so let's go straight to our interview with Gabe Kia. Oh, and on the other side, a song of the week from the Psychedelic Furs. Gabe Key is a stand-up comedian originally from St. Louis, Missouri. He lives in Cincinnati, Ohio now and does stand-up, when there's not a pandemic, that is, uh, in clubs across the country. And he's also a favorite on the Bob and Tom Show. You may have heard him there. Here now is our interview with Gabe Kia. So how you been? Just getting set up. I'm pretty good. I just bought a brand new car. Oh, wow. Right now. I got it all done before two. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a nice... I'd like to have that. I was glad I uh, scheduled it for the time. So, uh, oh, nice. Got my new car in, in you... my garage. Oh. With my old car, too. Oh, very good. What'd you get? Uh, I got a 2018 Toyota Prius. So it's a oh, used nice. new car. But... Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, Prius is what I was. I actually wanted a Camry hybrid. Yeah. But after I got in the Prius, I, was, I thought, no, I want this. Yeah, I've been thinking of making the move to hybrid, but uh, we're probably just going to buy another used car when my daughter takes over what well, was my wife's car and is now my car. And um, yeah. So. Oh, third down the line. There you go. Yeah, we have. It's weird. My mom thinks we're crazy, but we have. Um, well, my oldest daughter has my old Camry, and then my wife bought a new Highlander last year, and then uh, my daughter, youngest, is going to take over the RAV, and I have a uh, 20-year-old Camry that I refuse to let go of, and I'm like, you know what? I'll just drive that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, you're, yeah, you're all toyota out. That's what I, That's, we are. That's honestly what I was looking for. I wanted uh I want a Toyota just because I have a Corolla that has over 300,000 miles on it. Oh, wow. I'm only at 120-odd with uh, – well, no, I'm sorry, 220-odd with the uh, with the, my with the, Camry. Wow. With the 20-year-old. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's all the – it's all comedy miles and yeah, yeah. miles. So it's not bad miles, but it's still uh, – it stopped at, it stopped at 300,000. I was telling the guy when I was buying the car, I said – yeah, my my odometer just stopped, and then I thought that might be a good Super Bowl ad for Toyota. Is like a guy that's recording his odometer getting to three hundred thousand, but it never goes. It just keeps going, and then he keeps going for another hundred thousand miles or something. That's crazy! Wow. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, um, I know Ryan Singer had one, uh, a one older than mine for uh, years and years that he drove all, all over the West and everything because, you know, out, being out in Los Angeles, he's got a – he does a show somewhere out of town. He's got a long drive. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't fly. Yeah, crazy. So, well, I didn't think this was going to turn into car talk so easily, but uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be hockey talk. Uh, uh, yeah, hockey hockey talk. It's coming. It is. Uh, well, I didn't realize they started last night, I guess, with uh, – I was doing trivia, and they had the Boston-Columbus uh, game on. And uh, Yeah, they, I, I think it's it, – this week has all been an exhibition game. So oh, okay. The first, the first games were Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then – I don't know if there is one tonight, but tomorrow is – it's the first game of what will be like the play-in series. Right. And that's and we play tomorrow night, right? We play at the Avalanche, um, right? I believe. Yeah, yeah. No, a Sunday night. Sunday, Sunday night. Okay. Yeah, Sunday, and then Columbus plays Toronto on Sunday, I believe, as well. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. I have uh, I have no other dog in this fight. Well, possibly the Penguins in the other conference. So I have I have a team in each conference, but. Um, I more well, care more. I have a team in each conference, but I care more about the one team than the other, honestly. But that's just the way it is. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, it's good. That's I, I. I'm excited. I'm excited for hockey just because that's kind of my escape from everything. Oh, I sure. To like, yeah. Just focus on hockey and not worry about politics and everything that's mm-hmm. going on. And and it's man, mm-hmm. it's just there's no escaping politics right now or during the pandemic it's been crazy and it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier and it's like trump retweets the the lady the doctor that says that we're using alien dna and stuff like that she says well she's very smart and nobody bats an eye they're like yeah that's yeah okay well i think everybody bats an eye that's what he's and i think that's what he's doing he's trying to direct the he's trying to do say it's just like the postponing the election which he has no authority to do right but it happens to be on the same day that herman cain dies you you don't think he had like advanced knowledge that it doesn't look like herman cain well gonna make it yeah yeah well other people said it was also to deflect the horrific economic news that came out that morning too so like two yeah. hours oh, later yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, that, there's, there's so much news to deflect from that he's running out of the, the tricks aren't working anymore yeah well it, unfortunately it, though i mean people think oh well there's no way he'll get reelected. but fortunately there's way more stupid people than there are smart people, and the stupid people is who got got him elected in the first place. So, yes, and and think about I I think it's just funny that like when people are like vote, I'm like, have you been paying attention to what's going on in American politics? I don't think voting is going to get us out of anything. Like they already the Supreme Court just ruled on no felons voting in Florida. There's a there's a voter suppression. Yeah, I never. Going on, I never understood that. I can understand. That. I can understand not voting when you are a felon, or even when you're still on probation. Okay, that's fine. You know, you should lose some uh, rights if you do something bad. It should it should cost you in some ways. But once you've paid your debt, why don't you get that back? I've never understood that. Yeah, I, and I am, I am a felon. So you're talking to a person that gets Wait, to what? vote in Ohio, but if I was living in Florida, I would not. I wouldn't have that right this this November. So. Yeah, true story. Wow, that's the O'Reilly. That's the O'Reilly story. The O'Reilly Auto Part joke that I do at the end of my set. Ah, okay. There you go. All makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am. Very, that's a big issue for me. Um, but it's funny how. I mean, I'm even for uh, after watching 
13th, the 13th on Netflix, which is like the most, that, that, that documentary was like one of the best documentaries I've seen. It's just basically talking about the prison industrial complex in the country and, and seeing that, which I already kind of knew about, but just knowing that I'm like, I'm one of the people that got through that, got through all that system just because of my privilege and where I'm at. And yeah. And just, and also, you know, uh, lawyers. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And people don't really, I mean, I, I'm not, again, my conservative friends completely when they're always saying, oh, we should privatize stuff. Well, you you can privatize some stuff, I'm sure. That isn't one of them. (laughs) Hospitals shouldn't be privatized. That kind of stuff shouldn't be privatized, kids. Garbage pickup, sure. Cleaning up the parks, maybe. But yeah, that, that, there's some things that you just, you don't want people making a profit on. You, you, you do have to watch. And I, I honestly, waiting tables, I was, I was, I was listening to this, the privatization you're talking about. Like they're talking about this company, uh, or this guy that was like, he works for like, I don't know what, what, what kind of financial services company it kind of was, but he was talking to this guys from Gorilla Glue about different city contracts they could get for not just spray paint removal, but for like chewing gum removal and the amount of money that can go, that they can basically profit off of these, these government, you know, but they're a private company. So that that is the contracting part side of that, that is uh, possibly controlled, possibly, you know, the bids go to someone that's got connections. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it can be done yeah. like it's supposed to be done, where it goes to the, to the lowest bidder, but then if it goes to the lowest bidder, what's the first thing that's, that suffers from that is the pay of the workers, so who we can get working yeah. the cheapest. So, yeah, it's just uh, very frustrating. So what have you been doing during the, the pandemic? This is my big question for everybody. Uh, Me? I've, I've honestly uh, – I've been working a lot, and I've not, I, I never really technically stayed home. Other than, so I work at a restaurant part time here in town, Stone Creek in Montgomery. Okay. And uh, during when the pandemic hit, restaurants closed. Everybody lost their job basically in the restaurant. We all thought we were laid off. And for two to three days, I was going to get a job at Kroger. Maybe I I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I applied for unemployment right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't get that job at, at Kroger. Um, I think I went to Kroger, saw what madness was going on there. And I was like, well, maybe I'd rather not have a job than work here because it, it looked pretty bad. Uh, it was just chaotic. It was when like everybody was buying everything off the, oh, off yeah. the shelves because it was all going to, we're all going to need, it's going to be shut down forever. So that was, uh, that was what I was I was dealing with, um, and so I was thinking, I was like, I've got to get a job. So then my, what happened is our, we got word from the restaurant that we're going to stay open during the pandemic. We're going to do carry out curbside service only. And instead, so our jobs totally transformed instead of waiting on tables. Now I am answering phones and taking orders over, over the phone. And, uh, it was totally totally different ball game but uh very 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 thankful and privileged that i get to be 
uh, essential worker basically by working carry out at a restaurant. And it's kind of funny that that's the job that I barely tell anybody that I even have that job or, you know, I don't advertise it. I don't see it as the more glamorous part of my income. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one that's there when push comes to shove. It was the one that was there for me and like provided the income for me. So it's a good wake up call to that to realize how important having stable employment like that is. Yeah, it's just weird. I was thinking um, just the other day, uh, I've had kind of uh, an unsteady vocational past, you could say. And uh, one of the jobs I was at, uh, I lost because out of absolutely no control of mine, uh, was working at the airport for one of the uh, people that run the gift shops in the airport. And of course, it was the time when people would call people from Cincinnati, at least, that when the number of flights that Delta was flying out of CBG just plummeted. Uh, and this was in 2008 or nine. They just moved all their flights to the other hubs in the system and business dropped and they finally came to me and the the other assistant manager and they said, we have to let you go. They made our boss, general manager, he didn't even work in our uh, airport. They flew him to Chicago to work uh, a couple of days a week. And so I lost that through no fault of my own. Love the airport. Love, love, love working in the airport. For a regular job, it was fantastic. I just, um, I love everything about airports except actual flying. That's a, a joke I tell people. But it's, That's funny. But it is true. true. I don't like the actual yeah. flying part because you can't hear in the airplane. It's it's noisy. It's uncomfortable. But the airport bit of it, I love. Anyway, um, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, I would have been in the same boat again had I been at the airport because I'm certain that's what happened. It's happened out there now, even though there's, you know, there's people still flying. But they're, oh, saying, sure. they're saying it's like worse than post 9-11 numbers right now. So, yeah. So I would have been in the exact same boat. <laughs> I guess you just have to have yeah. the, the right kind of job is what a, is the lesson to be learned here. It, it is. It, it's, it's amazing to think of um, and to think of how much that affects travel and uh, hotel industries and all these industries that are just so used to having like a consistent customer base. It's the way I was thinking about it is like we never knew how much of our economy was based off of hugs and handshakes. Yes. Until we until we actually get in those situations where for me, for instance, me buying a car today, I'm like, I want to shake this guy his hand at the end of the whole deal. He did right. a really good job. He was a great salesperson. We did like a little elbow bump. Sure. And, sure. And I think of the elbow bump. I, I think of, uh, when I met Bill Burr and Judah Freelander, when I met both those guys, they were like, no, I do the elbow bump. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's weird. I wanted to shake your hand. But I remember, thinking later on after i met a couple people and i was like oh that's what happens when you get really famous you don't oh yeah you, you don't want to shake hands anymore because everybody you meet wants to shake your hand yeah you know? yeah i guess so maybe howie mandel was onto something my the, my favorite disc jockey burton calls him howie mandel because i the british accent howie you know, mandel howie mandel his handle? yeah yeah you go, yes, his hand, yeah howie mandel uh yeah he's an american germaphobe anyway um yeah, it's it's crazy how much is going to change. I mean, are are people? I mean, I don't. I think people will be willing to go back to comedy clubs because don't just don't seem as even when it's a, a full room, it doesn't really seem as like not like a baseball game or a hockey game where it's just like thousands and thousands of people, you know. And even movie theaters will probably be okay because you know not not many movies are the last packed movie I went and saw was one of the Star Wars ones on the first night when Josh was doing one of his charity things so of course it was a full theater but normally 
Uh, it's it's pretty empty. But yeah, it's, uh, things are going to change, I guess, even if we find a, a, a vaccine. Because hell, what, 6,000 people perished on 9-11 and we still can't take our loved ones down to the gate with us at the airport? So Yeah, no, you're right. That's a... Uh... It's a it's a different different type of fear, but it's I honestly the the thing that really that really kicked it into gear for me and realizing what we're actually going through was talking. I worked at the Funny Bone uh, sometime in late February with this guy Byron Bowers, who uh, who was recently in a movie Honey Boy. Um, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. It's what I forget what the child. It's like a child star. Or oh, oh, Shia LaBeouf. It. Shia LaBeouf, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Shia LaBeouf's movie about, like, growing up in his in his family as a child star. So so Byron is in this movie, and uh, he has a pretty significant part. I guess they went to do press all over the world. Like, he was like, they flew us to, like, Italy and France, and we did press in Japan. And then when he talked about Japan, he pulled out this sleek black mask, and he goes, look at this right here. This is what everybody in the country of japan where if you go outside and you're not wearing one of these people will look at you like you are insane they will not it's not socially acceptable to step outside without one of these on a mask and that was in late february and he was like made a joke about like i wore this around here people think i'm crazy they think i'm darth vader or something (laughs) you know and i'm like i'm like that's so true like that's no one would if you walked out on the stage with a mask you would totally just have a disconnection with the audience right away. But uh, now months later, and I flash back to when he was telling us about how culturally the people in Japan are just used to wearing masks and saying like, that's, it's just, a, they've been through a pandemic before, you know? Yeah. So, Hopefully it's getting better here because only uh, a few hours ago I was, um, I, we finished up lunch and my wife has a big meeting uh, she had to get on for, and she said, hey, could you please go get my car some gas, and I'm really craving a Diet Coke. I don't know why. I think she's stressed out from this big meeting she has. I'm like, can you get me a can of Diet Coke from the gas station? I said, sure. So I go take my mask. I go down there. I walk in, and uh, I'm wearing a mask, and other guys are wearing a mask, and three guys are not wearing a mask. And the one guy pays for his stuff, and the lady says, and as a reminder, masks are required here. And then the next guy comes up, and the lady starts loudly complaining about the other two blokes who aren't wearing masks and says, I think people think they're privileged that they don't have to wear a mask. And the one guy just throws his shit down and storms out and goes, I'll go somewhere else. And she goes, please do. <laughs> so, oh, God. It's good yeah, people that... are standing. Uh, good for her because, you know, she looked like she was older, even older than me. And, you know, if, the older we get, we're in the high-risk category. So good for her. You should yeah. shame those guys into to wearing the mask. And it's a fine line with customer service because you're always trying to, you know, the customer's always right, but yeah. the customer's not always right when they're doing something that is, is going dangerous. to be yeah. detrimental to the business as a whole or to the person that's working there. Exactly. I know Abby works at Esther Price. It's a very uh, popular candy store here oh, in yes. town. Mm-hmm. And she says you would be, before the masks are required, now masks are required, but when it was like optional, People would come in just then and they'd say, okay, I'm going to take my mask off since I'm the only one in here. And she'd say, I'm here. Oh, yeah. Like, don't, what about well, me? Like, just because you're the only one in here. I, you was, know? I was doing trivia last night and um, I'm going to bring a couple of sticks with me next time because the way I have it set up, I can do this. 
But, you know, people are more than welcome to come up and ask me because we're doing it mobily. You can sit in the restaurant, but you, you use your uh, telephone and an application on your telephone, as Jimmy Pardo would say, to send in oh. the answers to me. And <laughs> Application, that's nice. Yeah, he always says, I have an application on my telephone. Um, and uh, so – you do that, but people will come up sometimes and say, hey, I didn't hear the code to get into the game, or I got booted out of the game. Was the coding? Come up and ask me, but put your mask on and fucking stay six feet from me, man. And this guy yesterday was, oh, I think our score is wrong. He's right in my face without his mask. And I'm like leaning back. I'm like, dude. <sighs> so, yeah, I'm going to bring you protection next time. I'm going to fence people off, and then hopefully that will solve the problem. <laughs> but, I mean, most yeah, people – a six-foot pole or a hockey stick. Right, yeah, the, the literal six-foot pole. Uh, but most uh, people were being nice. They had them off because they were eating, obviously. But when people were walking in out of the, out of the, uh, the bar, uh, they were, would have their masks on. So most people were being, were being good about it. There's just one or two knuckleheads that didn't think they had to do it if they had a question for me about the, the trivia game. So, yeah. Uh. But So what have you been doing comedy-wise? Have you been able to flex that muscle any other way, uh, writing, uh, uh, well, social I, media? I've done a lot of Zoom shows, a lot of stuff in my garage. I've done some uh, done some corporate, like, happy hours. I did that. Well, that's cool. Cinco de Mayo, I think, in, the, in May I did one of those. I did another one um, for another company that Shalafu got me in touch with. And, oh, okay. And then Good I did man. one that was uh, my – Former landlord who comes into the restaurant I work all the time. They, they said they're like we just want to do a Zoom show, and they basically they basically produced the show. They they told me they said find find three other comedians and we'll get the audience and we're going to charge them twenty dollars a link and we'll get we'll give you all the money and you guys can all split it up. So I got uh, me Mike Cronin, Sam Evans, and Carmen Lagala. Oh yeah, the okay. Show and it, it's uh. It was great. It was an awesome lineup. And that's also the yeah. benefit of doing some of those shows is I can get uh, Mike, who's up in Michigan, or I can get yep. Sam and Carmen, who are in New York. So so that was good. That was like a successful little show that we've done. And then I do the Go Bananas uh, Instagram pro-am every once in a while on, on Wednesdays. I've been doing that. And any any other shows that I get asked to do online, I try and make time and even if it's just doing it for free just to keep sure keep flexing that uh yep. that muscle and then you i find that online shows you just end up ranting about stuff for like a while <laughs> because you don't really know yeah if you're getting the reaction that you're that you're used to but um and then the most i mean i i think i told you a little bit about this and you may have heard about it but i got asked in june uh june 6th to open for dave Chappelle up at the oh Yellow yeah yeah springs yeah yeah, and I did this. It was his first show. It was the first show that he's he was uh, doing over the summer, and now he's been doing them all summer. David Letterman's up there this week headlining the shows. So oh. every yeah, every week he's got a brand new person. Like he's had Chris Rock there. He had uh, Louis C.K. He had Michelle Wolf is there the whole time. She's actually she was in Ohio doing like. Uh, a show for for a college, like a fundraiser for a college, and she kind okay. of got stuck here during the pandemic and ah. ended up staying at Dave Chappelle's guest house. Oh, nice! And uh, yeah, she's like, she said her her opening joke was like, "Man, black people don't have it too bad. They're, I'm staying <laughs> in one's cottage, the guest cottage." <laughs> but but it's uh, it, yeah, it's so the first week, I guess. It was in June, so it was June sixth. This is right at the. There's uh, protests going on across in Beaver Creek, up in Dayton, near where he lives. 
there's all this unrest and people. And then I guess Don Lemon went on CNN and said, where are the celebrity? Where is Dave Chappelle? And he like called out Dave Chappelle for not saying anything about like the, the unrest in the yeah. country and the protests. And, and then, so Dave basically heard that and got all mad and was like, what have I not been doing? Look at my life's work. What do you think I have been doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, thinking I'm ignoring this issue. No, I'm not ignoring this issue. And, uh, so I guess he got together with Live Nation and they threw it together at this place called the Wearing Pavilion up in Dayton. And uh, they had about 120, 140 people there, all socially distanced mm-hmm. outside, uh, six feet apart, groups of two. Everyone's wearing a mask. And then we go out and we just do the show. And uh, so how, how it all broke down, too, was, first of all, beginning of the story how i met dave was back in november i had uh just a run of shows that were just just some some good shows back to back and it doesn't always happen like that with comedy and they all happened last minute too i got asked to open for burt kreischer at the taft theater which was thursday night then i uh while i was doing that the manager of uh the the liberty funny bone asked me that night he's like can you open for uh russell peters and for me russell peters is almost bigger than burt kreischer even though i, I oh yeah he is, yeah yeah the biggest selling international comedian like year in and year out but he's huge in canada yes canadians love russell peters they ever do. since i started doing comedy everybody that i meet in canada would say you do comedy do you know russell peters <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know who he is, but yeah. I don't know him. Yeah, he's been on the show. But, oh, he's been, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one yeah, of the most no, popular he, downloads. He is, he is such a great guy. He was so cool. Um, and we were hanging out in the green room. He was telling a story about being at Eddie Murphy's house. And he was telling us everybody that was there. He was like, Chris Rock's there. Uh Dave Chappelle comes down the stairs. He's like, Russell Peters. And he goes, I'm good friends with Dave. So be, seeing Dave like made me more comfortable. We did like Montreal back in 95 together. And when he said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, Dave lives like right right by here. And he's like, you know what? Oh, my God. Oh, let me text him. So he sends Dave Chappelle a text right there as we're talking. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this might be we might get to hang out with Dave. Maybe Dave will come down watch the show or maybe we'll go up there or something. So I ended up going home that night and he went home or no, Russell and Glenn Childress, another local uh, Cincinnati comic. They both went up there and hung out with Dave Chappelle on Friday night. And I didn't know until I came to the show the next night. I was like, what? I missed hanging out with Dave Chappelle. No. And they said, we're going back up Sunday. So you can maybe come up with a Sunday if it works out. And I'm like, yes, yes, I want to do that. So it, it did work out. We we ended up going up to uh, Dave's place up in Yellow Springs and just hanging out a little bit after the show on the Sunday. And uh, sidebar to this, Russell Peters, great guy. He bonus me and the MC. So the feature and the MC gave us both five hundred dollars cash on top of what we made from the week. So I was sitting there like with this extra cash and the whole week I'd also been selling my t-shirts 
and making money. And also what I do is when I get $20 bills, I have this, I have a Harriet Tubman stamp. Oh yeah. Yeah. I stamp all my $20 bills with Harriet Tubman's face. Every time I'd sell a t-shirt, I'd come home with that $20, stamp it, and then like let it dry, put it to the side. And I think that night I had probably five to six Tubmans in my wallet. And then Russell Peters gives me another $500 bonus. And I'm just flush with, with twenties now. And I'm, I'm tipping, I'm tipping the door guy at funny bone. I'm like, you never get tipped here. Here's some money for you. I'm tipping the sound guy. I'm like, you've always been awesome to me. I'm, I'm just going a little, little overboard with the tipping. But I was also trying to spread around the love because I know that like, Uh, yeah, I was going to say that's that's what, that's what happens when Russell does something for you. You want to want to give it to other people. So, um, that Sunday night we go up, hang out with Dave Chappelle. We're hanging out in his little, he's got a little party pad next to his house. It's like a low key spot, but it's got a really nice bar in there, a really nice DJ booth, probably the nicest bathroom that I've ever taken a, taken a leak in. Um, let's just say that's all I did. Um, <laughs> not going to go further than that. Anyway, all right. We're hanging out and his, his buddy, Dave, one of Dave's like, uh, his friends is pouring us drinks at the bar and I go to give him a 20. I give him a Tubman and he was like, Oh no, you don't, you guys don't have to pay for any of these drinks. And I go, no, this is just a tip. That's a, this is a Harriet Tubman $20 bill. I, I stamped these and I, I gave it to him and he looked at it and he goes, Oh, that's, that's cool. And he goes, Dave, come here. And Dave Chappelle comes over, looks at this Harriet Tubman $20 bill, looks up at me and Glenn and Eddie and, and Russell. And he goes, who did this? And I like raise my hand, like kind of sheepishly. And he's like, you did this? Oh my, come here. And he goes, he, he brings me around the bar, slams it down on the bar, pulls out a Sharpie. And he's like, sign that shit for me, man. And I, I was just beside myself. I had just met Dave Chappelle. And I'm like, I just met Dave Chappelle, and he's asking for my autograph? What are that's, the chances that that happens? That's crazy. Yeah, and it really uh, – oh, Dave also has like a little album with where everybody that comes up there that's famous like signs the album, signs his little guest book. And it's like got all these autographs from, you know, like all the people I was – John Stewart and David Letterman, Carrie Elways, who was in like Prince, uh, Prince of – men in tights with him or something yeah yeah um i saw some of the names in there and i was like oh this is really this is so neat but i saw russell had just signed it and then he put it away and then after he he had me sign the 20 i took that opportunity to say hey if i sign one of these for you will you sign one for me i pulled out another tubman put it down dave Chappelle signed the back of a tubman i kept that one and uh, let him keep the one with my name. And then he brought out the book for me and Glenn, and Glenn's wife was there. She signed in the book. We all got to sign the book. Eddie, who's like Russell's assistant, was signing it. It was it was so cool, and it was just like one of those moments that like was a total icebreaker, too, because you're kind of nervous up there around somebody that you really want to hang out with, but you don't want to like go up and nerd out on them or do anything like that. So well, yeah. It, this was the perfect icebreaker and it really just like made the rest of the night like super cool. And Dave was, Dave was very, very cool and very nice to me and kept on like giving me some advice about comedy, talking to me about comedy. And it was, it was just such a really awesome experience. And, and then I hung out with some of his buddies that were from yellow Springs. Those are the people that Dave hangs out with like all the time after shows, 
these guys from Yellow Springs come over to this place and they all kind of like just party for a little bit and then go home. It's just like, it's a really cool small town atmosphere, but with a guy that's like, like really not normal, like really <laughs> super famous and you're kind of nervous around, but he, yeah. he's really a, he's a guy that'll disarm that feeling and make you feel like he's just like another guy like you and, and you're cool just like he's cool. And he's, that's, that's, I think that's the coolest part about running into him and meeting him and getting to know him a little bit better. And mind you, I didn't really know him too well at this time, but I did know that I was like, he's got that 20 with my name on the back of it. So if, if there's ever a chance of something, you know, Oh yeah. Need a, comedian in the future oh. he's got my he's got that and i traded contact information with some people there but i never i never reached out with like a thank you text or like a, hey would love to hang out again or like what you're what you think like that's your your first instinct is to be like i gotta capitalize on this you yeah know? yeah yeah but i didn't i totally slow played it and i just let it sit there and then and then that's when it happened. I was, I was, uh, it was June 6th. I was driving to work in my work uniform and his buddy sent me a text that was like, Hey, what's up, man? It's, it's me. Do you remember hanging out with me at, at Dave shack? And I got this text message and I thought, I, I looked down at it and I go, Oh my gosh, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. And uh, my message back was like, hell yeah, man, what's going on? And then all of a sudden my phone's ringing. And he's and I'm like talking to him and he calls me. I talk to him and he said, Hey, how are you? How's your pandemic going? You doing any shows? And I'm like, no, I've been doing zoom shows in my, my garage, but that's about it. And then he said, do you want to do a show tonight in yellow Springs? And I'm thinking, yeah. And he told me that, uh, he was like, he was like, yeah, Dave's looking to do a show tonight. He's looking for an opener. We've got, we got someone else here that's going to do a little time, but we need someone else from that's local. And we thought of you from your uh, Harriet Tubman twenties. And I was like, nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. I let, and then I thinking I'm dressed in my work uniform. I'm on my way to work. It's a Saturday night. This is going to be a busy night. They can't just like, let me go. I sent my boss a text message that was like, do you think I can have the night off? And he, and he sent a message back like, doesn't look good. We're pretty, pretty busy tonight. And then I got to work. And, uh, and I basically told him, I was like, yeah, Dave Chappelle asked me to do a show with him tonight. And my boss was like, get out of here. You're doing that. You <laughs> cool. are not working tonight. He's like, get out of here before I change my mind. And I realize I do need you, but, uh, really cool move by my boss, Andrew, who's uh, a really good guy. And he, he's obviously working, working close with me all the time and, and helping me out in my career in so many different ways that, uh, he doesn't usually get the spotlight like he should like, but, uh, but that was, that was all from, that was all from him. And then I'm driving up to yellow Springs and I'm thinking, Oh man, I haven't done comedy in three months. Now I have to do comedy in front of Dave Chappelle. This is like the biggest audition of my life. Am I ready for this? And, uh, I was not, it was tough. I did poorly. <laughs> oh first, really? Oh, the first show I didn't do poorly. I didn't bomb or anything. It just was, I went a little longer than I should have. I didn't get laughs. I messed up a few jokes, but just every everything was off. I was super nervous too about the show. So uh, the cool part was Michelle Wolf was the uh, was the other comedian. I think I told you that earlier. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Michelle Wolf was on the show, and I learned that like when I got there too. That I was like, oh, Michelle Wolf's on this too. Damn. And uh, 
And then I got to meet her and talk with her in the green room and talk to Dave. And I found out they were both nervous, too. And Dave's like, I've never been nervous doing stand-up. I never get nervous. But it's been three months, and I feel nervous. And it was really, it kind of made me feel a little bit more at ease with that. But uh, then that night, we it was a good show. You're not the greatest or whatever, but I didn't know what was going I didn't know there was a show the next day either. I thought that was it. It was just a one-show deal. And then the next day... We had a show, and I found out the moment I was saying goodbye to Dave that night. He's like, you coming back tomorrow? Same thing tomorrow? And I was like, yes, yeah. And I, I was so excited when I was leaving, like, coming back tomorrow, coming back tomorrow. And uh, then the same thing the next night. I didn't know if I was going to be invited back until the moment I said goodbye at the end of the night. And he's like, you're coming back, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. So three shows and three nights and... It was, uh, it got progressively better too. I got, I got way better the second night, way better the third night. And the second night, I didn't even think about it, but Dave was, Dave said, uh, I'm going to do 10 minutes up front just so you don't have a cold crowd. And the first night I was so nervous. I didn't even look, I didn't even watch him do the set. I just stayed in the green room. But the second night I was like, I'm going to go watch Dave. And, uh, man, that made me more nervous than not watching because he was, crushing he was destroying and i just had to think then i started thinking oh man now i gotta follow dave Chappelle. i didn't even think about this when i wasn't watching him but he is uh yeah he's he's really he's really excellent and it was really great it was an excellent opportunity and and i also didn't post about it at all i didn't say anything on the yeah. internet because he was still kind of keeping it a secret that he was coming out with the special and stuff so I just I didn't say anything, even though I wanted to. I told a few buddies that do comedy and and I was excited about telling them. But I, I was just trying to keep it quiet. And then uh, I think Josh O'Neill was the person that posted something on my on my Facebook page that was like, it's on the Internet. You're official. Huh. You're you officially open for Dave and, and for his historic 846 special. And then I watched the special. And I, I mean, it is what I watch live. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, it's just it's exactly why I wanted to put those shows together is he wanted to get out there and tell you about his life, life's work and just go down through his history and how how police brutality, police brutality has been accompanying him his whole way throughout his whole career. And he just details it in such a masterful way that it's uh, it was it was just a it was just an honor and I'm thankful that I was that I was there and included and then I'm like where do we go from here Dave where's <laughs> <laughs> the next but, show? yeah where, where I went from there was he brought in Michael Che the next week and that was my he Michael Che was doing my spot so uh, okay <laughs> I, I just got lucky as being like a local guy that he that he remember and he didn't remember me very well. He didn't remember. He probably didn't know my name until the second or third night when I, he knew my name. I'm just like being comfortable saying Gabe. Like he just knew me as the Harriet Tubman, $20 bill guy the first <laughs> night. Like I could tell. Sure. He didn't, he didn't know what he was getting into. 
I even told him when he was giving me a, like good advice about comedy. I was like, "You've never even seen me do stand up." And he's like, "Oh, you're funny, man. I can tell. <laughs> I got some into I got some intuition when it comes to this." Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. And I was like, hearing that was the, like that's that's the biggest validation of my comedy career almost. Well, there you go. Well, cool, man. So where can people find you? Uh, I'm sure your comedy's on uh, on the Pandoras and the Spotify's of the world and all that, and you got the social media sorted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My social media is uh, I've got the uh, I'm Gabe Kia on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, TikTok, all that at Gabe Kia, G-A-B-E-K-E-A. And then you can probably type that into Instagram and find me there. But I'm also Abe Lincoln T-shirt on Instagram. That's where I post pictures of uh, family and my daughter and some funny stuff. too. Okay, cool. I've got my website, GabeKia.com. I got updated uh, dates on there. I just recently did my first indoor shows at Crackers Comedy Club in Indianapolis last week. Oh yeah, I saw the um, pics. Yep. Yeah, that went well. It was good. It was. Uh, it was. I was a little. I was. I honestly had a panic attack driving out there because I was. I didn't realize how much I was worried about uh, doing shows in general and doing shows indoors and not knowing what the outcome was going to be. But it was safe. Everybody was the, the seating arrangement they had in the venue was was perfectly set up for. I think there were 56 people there on on Friday, which was pretty much capacity with what you're dealing with. So uh, it was it was an excellent show. The first night, Thursday, was really light. There were only six people in the audience and two dogs. So if that gives you an idea, <laughs> they they let the people with the dogs in. Just because they knew they're like, we can't beggars can't be choosers right now. We exactly, yeah. we'll call these service dogs. That's what we'll do. Sure. Yeah. Well great, man. Yeah. Well we'll do this all again, uh, hopefully in a month or so when the the blues win another Stanley Cup. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah. want I, I, I like another I, I talk it all day, but I didn't talk any hockey. No, yeah. Well we'll we'll get that sorted after the uh we'll, we'll do a review of the Stanley Cup uh, tournament. And they get that good. sorted. Great, man. Well, it's good talking to you. Good luck with the new car. And, uh, yeah, uh, everyone check out Gabe Kia all over the internet there. And um, and hopefully you'll be performing with Dave again. Huh. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Kia. Right. Thanks for doing this right. with me. No problem, Gabe. Talk to you later. Okay. Right, bye-bye. Thanks to Gabe Kia for being on the show. You can get all of your Gabe Kia needs sorted at GabeKia.com. He's on your social medias and all that stuff, so look for him there. And uh, go see him, of course, when all this pandemic stuff is over. And uh, we are now up to the song of the week. Like I said, I know we went over time with Gabe, but uh, we're having such a great chat. We shouldn't help ourselves. Um, so anyway, song of the week, Psychedelic First. Did not know they had an album out. And here it came out just this past Friday. The uh, first single from it is a song called Don't Believe. And it's, uh, well, the first question you probably have on your mind is, is it uh, like early psychedelic furs? Is it like later psychedelic furs? Like mirror moves and love my way and that kind of situation? Or is it uh, something new? And like, well, it's uh, it's mostly older psych furs. It's a little keyboardy in spots, but not like mirror moves. Or uh, or the or the or the techno-y parts of uh, Forever Now, uh, if you're curious. But it's a uh, boy. It's it's a good it's a good album. I think this is certainly the best album since Mirror Moves. Uh, they had like th- two or three albums after that that were you know okay. Midnight to Midnight. I can't remember the other two, but uh, a lot of good tunes on this. In fact, I'm kind of surprised that Don't Believe was actually the lead-off single because uh, 
there's a couple of other great tunes on here as well that I think should be candidates for being singles as well. And uh, and I was going to tell you too, the first track on the album, in case you were wondering what direction this album is going in, The Boy Who Invented Rock and Roll, uh, very uh, very much will remind you of the early Psych Furs albums. And then there's another song called You'll Be Mine, which really should be the, uh, the next single, I believe. And uh, yeah, so there you have it. So here now is our song of the week. It's from the Psychedelic Furs. Don't believe PF's tape recorder. So long and thanks for listening. <laughs> 